Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermon Cast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. Well, one day... A lady pulled in a self-service gas station to fill up her car. And she got out of the, get her car and she went over to the pump and lifted the nozzle to, gas, to fill her gas tank. And she tried to pump it and nothing happened. And she looks around and she's like, oh, I got to go inside and pay. So she, she goes inside. She's not real happy about it. But uh, she goes in and, and she's kind of in a hurry, pays for her gas and returns to resume pumping. And she picks up the, the pump again and tries to use it and it's not working. And uh, so what kind of lousy gas station is this? She mumbled angry to herself. And she tries again, tries again. And finally, she's like, I got to go back to the, talk to this cashier. I don't even know any, if he knows what he's doing. And, and uh, so he, he, she goes in there, and she's going to let him have it. And, and uh, as she starts scolding him about what's going on, he says, ma'am, ma'am, please stay, stay right here. Don't go back to your car. I, I just called 911. When you were leaving the building and after paying me, I saw a man get in the back seat of your car, and it didn't look like to me that he was supposed to be there. So the only way I could get you to come inside was to turn your pump off, and so, so that's why it wouldn't work. And, and just then the police showed up, and they, they took the man in the custody who was hiding in the woman's car, and uh, the woman later learned that he was, he was trying to get initiating to a, a dangerous gang, and, and part of it was to, to, to kill her and to steal her car, and... Uh, gave her a different perspective on uh, the troubles that she was having, doesn't it? Sometimes in our life, we, we, we go through a, a thing, and, and we're like, why is this happening to me? I, I don't like this at all. And, and uh, we complain, and we gripe, and we grumble about it. And, and then sometime down the line, we learn something out of that. God uses things in our lives sometimes, sometimes difficulties and, and, and hard things to teach us about what it means to be children of God. And uh, we see that happen again and again in our lives, but we also see God doing that in, in, the, in the text of Scripture. Uh, we've been looking at the book of Hebrews, and as we've been looking at that book, we, we've been seeing Jesus lifted up above all the things in the Old Testament. And again, not the things in the Old Testament are bad, but when Jesus fulfills them, he brings all those pictures and symbols to completion. Last week we looked at chapter 11 in, in the book of Hebrews, a, a letter that's about faith, or a chapter that's about faith. Uh, some people call it the great hall of faith chapter because there's listed in there people who again and again in their lives are described as having done things on God's behalf, by faith. That phrase, by faith, comes again and again in that chapter. About 25 times it shows up. God's promises and people listening and doing things on his behalf by faith. And as that moves us into chapter 12, it, it directs us into thinking, how do we live this life? Uh, we, we touched on this last week, but we will continue. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12 and starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
Again, that refers to chapter 11. All the people that are listed there, Moses and Abraham and Sarah and Gideon and, and Barak and, and, and others that are listed in that chapter. These people are who lived by faith. And so because we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. As, as the writer of Hebrews continues, he, he directs us to thinking about this life of faith as, well, as a race. This is a race that we're living and, and moving on, that we're pursuing. And, and as we enter into a race, well, there's things that we need to do in terms of living that race. And, and first and foremost, there's, well, there's a path that's been laid out before of us. We have this cloud of witnesses that have walked by faith in front of us. But there's things in our lives, if, I don't know if you are a runner or have been a runner in your life. I have run a little bit in my life. I ran Ailes Run in Milwaukee back in the 1980s, but uh, I, running is not my thing. It was my kids' thing. My, both my kids ran cross-country in high school, and so whatever I know about running really comes vicariously through watching them. And, and uh, one of the things you want is, is to have as little that hinders you so you have a free-flowing motion and movement as you go because uh, otherwise these, these slow you down. Uh, so to, to throw off everything that hinders and, and things that would entangle you, one of the things, you've you got to tie your shoes, right? <laughs> because if your shoes are untied, they can wrap themselves, you can step on them, you can get entangled in them. Uh, and this is the picture the writer of Hebrews is giving us. Uh, again, you're starting off on the race. But as you start on this race, and, and, and this, this race for us is, well, it's life. It is living life with God and knowing him and walking with him. This is what life is, a race. And as we pursue it, what are the things in our lives that hinder us, that get in the way for us of, of doing this right and doing this correctly? How do we walk faithfully with God in all of this? That's the call for us. First and foremost, he says, to do this and to do this with perseverance, we've got to have our eyes on something. And so we fix our eyes on, on something, and that something is Jesus. Who is Jesus? Uh, Jesus has been lifted up throughout this entire book. Again and again, he is the one who is greater than the, the high priest. He is one that is greater than the sacrifices because he does for real what the, the things on earth only symbolize. The temple and the, the sacrifices that happen on earth, they're only a picture of what's really happening before the throne of God. And now Jesus ministers on our behalf right before Jesus is. And so we can boldly approach God's throne. That's the opportunity we have. So we fix our eyes on him. The author and perfecter, as the, the, this version says, the pioneer, the one who's gone before us first and perfective of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured this cross, scorning its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. 
he's repeating himself again, and he does that a lot in this letter. He just gives us again and again reminders of what Jesus has done and who he is and, and how he has lived this on our behalf. This is who Jesus is. And, and as we live our lives and we consider what we're going through, we will face temptations. This is the, this is the sin that can entangle us. But he reminds us, you know, we have not endured and gone through the temptation to sin all the way through to its finish. But Jesus has. He got through it all the way. He, he, he shed his own blood, which is a description of his death. Because he would not fail to follow God and the call that he made on his life. And so we fix our eyes on Jesus. When we're going through the tough times, if, you've, if you're a, a person who runs and races, you, there are difficult times that you're going to face. And, and how do you persevere? How do you continue when you're running a long distance you have to find this other motivation. And, and in living the Christian life, or living a faith of following Jesus, we are going to go through hard and difficult things. We will have challenges to us. We will face physical infirmity, but we also face conflicts and tensions. Tensions from those who don't want anything to do with God, but sometimes even tensions within the people of God. Uh, we get off on something, and, and, and that becomes so much more important to us than the relationships that we are, are, are trying to forge, and we lose sight of that. How do we get through and stay focused? Well, by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Consider him who endured all he did because of sinners so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. What happened to Jesus was not fair to him. Jesus, the Son of God, lived a sinless life on this world, and he was killed. It wasn't the right thing to do, but he did that for us on our behalf. But we will go through hardship and difficulty, and as the passage goes on, he's going to address that. Uh, in verse 7, he says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as I'm sorry, let me go back to verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as fathers, as a father addresses his son. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. All that comes is a quote from, from Proverbs chapter 3. And so as he comments on that then, he says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we who have had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we might share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. 
he moves on as, as he talks about this race to, to enduring the hardship that's going to come. And, and as we live this life, those hardships that we face, again, the, 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 the picture of that woman who is very frustrated with the fact that her gas pump won't work, but someone was looking out for her and trying to communicate something in that moment. And one of the things about living this life is that, that God wants us to know him and, and to become the best people that we can be. When Paul talks about this, he says that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God planned for us in advance. God has plans for us. He has created us. He's wired us the way that we are. We're all different, aren't we? We all have different gifts and passions and, and all have different circumstances that brought us to this place on this day. But he brought us together and is working in us to help us to, to become the people he wants us, but also to communicate this life. And for us to continue faithfully in walking with this, sometimes we've learned, we need to learn some lessons. A couple weeks ago, I... I've told you some of the story. I was, I was down in Milwaukee visiting my friend Jeff, and he, he continues to go to the, the church that he and I worked in youth ministry together. He's now uh, the head of the elders there, and, and he was headed over the church for a, a meeting with the elders and the pastor, and, and I was just tagging along, and I was going to read in the library. And, and so I'm headed off down there, and I hear the pastor say to Jeff, you know, he can just use my office. And I'm like, I don't want to go into the pastor's office. And uh, then Jeff said, hey, pastor said you can use the office. And I'm like, like, oh, you know, I'll be fine. And, and then once more, the pastor comes and says, Rick, just go use my office. It's warmer in there. And I'm like, the universe really wants me to be in this office today. Why does, okay, I'll go in this office. And, and I go and sit down in this office. And I was on staff at that church for nine years, uh, working with youth ministry. And, and I'd been in that office a lot. <laughs> A lot of times they were for very good things. We had weekly staff meetings in there, and I met with a pastor. And, and the first pastor I served there, he was like a father to me. He was fantastic. And, and, and sometimes we had rough times, and he had to speak to me harshly. And, um, but, but as he left and another pastor came who I didn't necessarily click with so well, we had some very difficult conversations. And as I sit down in this office, all these memories start coming back to me of being in this place, uh, of serving for these pastors, but also interviewing for a job some, some years later in, as an associate pastor. And, and uh, all these things I'm thinking of, and I'm looking over like six feet away from me, and, and, and one of the most brutal, humiliating conversations I ever had was just six feet away. And all these things, they're just coming back to me. And, and, and recently I've been, I've been talking with uh, this, this friend of mine who we've been talking about life and faith. And, and one of the things that he's been guiding me to do is to take, take these very powerful moments in your life, sometimes moments that are filled with anguish and, and, and difficulty, and, and to go back to them and say, Lord, where were you in those moments? And, and not in a way to say, God, I think you were nowhere in an accusatory fashion, but, but, but more so, God, you were there somewhere. I mean, if God is all places and God knows who we are, knows what we're going through, and, and, and is with us in, in even the difficult moments in our lives, well, where was he in there? Where can I find him in there? And, and then as you, as you spend time thinking and, and working through that, then also to, to ask a second question. What did you want 
me to see from that. Now, in most of my stories, I'm the hero. Or if something bad is happening, I am clearly the pure as a driven snow victim in this. That there is no sense of any wrongdoing on my part. And, and as I'm replaying the tapes of those days, and God's saying, hey, big boy, were you as pure as you thought there? Or are there some things you need to learn out of that that you could have done in that contentious relationship? And uh, I didn't get any reading done. This, their meeting lasted an hour and a half, two hours. I don't know. I mean, it just kept going and going. And, and, and I'm sitting there just working through just all these things, so, some delightful things as well, as I think of, of just having grown up in so many ways as a, as a believer and as a minister in, in that church. But God was saying, sometimes you need to get changed. <laughs> Sometimes your focus needs to be not on you, but on other things that, that I'm doing in and around you. And, and, and to be challenged in those moments. And, and, and the seeing, seeing struggles is God's discipline. And saying, okay, maybe not everything that they did was okay, but what about you? And, and what can you learn from that? Is what it means to be a follower of me. And, and, and that's really the call. That's what a, that's a, a father does when he disciples his child. At least that's what good parents do. And that's, he's making the contention here about that. He's like, you know, we've, we've all had earthly fathers who have, who have disciplined us. And they had good intentions most of the time, or most of them did. And, but how much more your heavenly father, the good God, how much more does he know the things that you need and the challenges that you need to grow in your life. And so he, he walks us through those struggles and then pushes us forward to, to, look, at, well, to look at life differently. As the passage goes on here in, in verse 12, he says, Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sowed his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. How do we live like Jesus? And, and that's the call for us to sing, sing to that we live like Jesus. To, to, to strengthen our feeble arms and to make level the paths, to making every effort to live at, with peace with everyone, to be holy. Well, this is to model our lives after Jesus, to be looking at him, fixing our eyes on him, as it said previously. Knowing the Gospels, knowing the life of Jesus and what he did, and, and not only how he proclaimed and the stories that he told, but also how he interacted with other people. 
how he went through even his toughest days in that week of the passion where he suffered and was mocked, but all with a, a mindset of, of looking towards others. He who of all in the universe deserved to be vindicated went through this guilty plea and the punishment connected to it for others. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to live his life as a ransom for many. That's what Jesus did. And, and as we think about our lives, to, to, to live it in connection with God, in obedience to him, and, and in doing so, to be looking out for others. Make every effort to live with peace with others around you. Paul, when he says this in Romans 12, says, you know, as far as, as, far as it's up to you, live at peace with everyone. I, we understand that, that we, we can't control anybody else. We can only control what we do. But as far as it's up to us to look at others in, in a light that gives us a perspective from God, that this is a person who needs to know God, who needs to see that Jesus loves them so much so that he came to this world to die on their behalf. These people matter. What they do with that, that's certainly up to them, but as far as it comes to you, to live a holy life, to make every effort, to, to, to not allow bitterness to become part of our lives, this bitter root for it to grow. Uh, over at the parsonage, I, I, I declare war on dandelions. I want nothing to do with them. They'll be coming and emerging, and I, you know, but there are things that you, can, you just can't cut them off with the lawnmower, and they die. They just keep growing up. You... you you can't just pick the tops of them. You've got to get down to the roots. And in our lives, when, when bad things happen, we get anger. Sometimes roots go kind of deep. I, I was dealing a little bit with that in that office in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, a couple weeks ago. Because there was a root that was still there because I was abandoned by six feet away from me. That's where it happened. And to deal with the stuff that's down. And not let that bitterness, to be able to turn and think about this pastor who I've had contention with. Said, this is a brother in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and maybe I didn't act as a brother needed to in those moments with him. But how does bitterness infect us? But he also has other instructions on how to live and how to walk, to, 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 to walk away from from living in a life that doesn't honor God. He mentions sexual immorality. He mentions godlessness and, and brings up the story of Esau. You may be familiar with Esau. Esau was, was Jacob's brother. He was the older brother. They were twins, but he was born first and then had all the, the first child birthrights to his advantage. But uh, one day he's walking around and, and he's hungry and his brother's got some stew and he's like, hey, give me some stew, bro. And, uh, and Jacob's like, hey, sure, I'll give you all this stew if you sell me your birthright. And, uh, and Esau's like, what good is it if I die of hunger? So sure, whatever, you can have it. And, and so, so disregarded the legacy that had been passed to him from Abraham to Isaac and on to him, his life, 
They said, yeah, whatever, you can have it. I'm just, I'm just hungry now. Um, the writer of Hebrews indicates that where is his soul? Where is what's right? And where is God's presence in this? He had no regard to that. And, and so uses him as, a, as an example of one who just gave it up. Says, Don't do this. You have been offered so much. And so the race is set out for us. And where is it going? Where is it directed? How, where are we headed to? Well, as this passage comes, we're going to talk about two mountains that are described, one in the Old Testament and one that represents Jesus. In verse 18, it says, You have not come to a mountain that can, that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or su- to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. The, the mountain described here, uh, and this, this comes from, from Exodus chapter 19, when Moses goes up to the, to the mountain after they've left Egypt, they've crossed the Red Sea, and, and he goes up and he receives the, the Ten Commandments, but the, the storm is there and the people are freaked out because oh, Moses is going to be dead. This is not the mountain that we're headed towards. This mountain that is scary and fearful, that we want nothing to do with God. Uh, when this is described in Deuteronomy, when he's talking about it to, to the next generation, they, they had said to him, we have seen that, that a man can speak to God and live, but we don't want anything to do with it. You, you talk to God and then tell him what he wants us to know, but we don't, we don't want to deal with that. But when it comes to Jesus, there's, there's a new mountain. And, and this is not a mountain that can be touched like Mount Sinai was. Verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels and joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks of a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So, so quickly at the end here, for us to be focusing on not, not where things, that what we, where we have been, but where we're at now. There was this mountain, as he's talking to Jewish people, they would remember this mountain, the stories that were told, but it says, our focus is on Jesus, on, on, on this new mountain, on the city of the living of God, and all these, these wonderful things that have been accomplished on our behalf, and, and what's, what characterizes it? It's not fear, but it is joy. 
that the presence of God and the connection and relationship that we have with him and with one another, that's the thing that we're looking towards. Because that's his promise. That's what he offers before us. And at the end is this warning to stay focused. And to stay focused on the right things. Because there's lots in this world that that can, again, hinder us, distract us, entangle us. But the things on this world, they'll be shaken. And the heavens will be shaken. But there are things that will not be shaken. A story by Rabbi Harold Kushner. And he writes, I was sitting on a beach one summer day watching two children, a boy and a girl, playing in the sand. They were hard at work building an elaborate sandcastle by the water's edge with gates and towers and moats and internal passages. Just when they had finished their project, a big wave came along and knocked it down, reducing it to a pile of wet sand. I expected the children to burst into tears, devastated by what had happened to all their hard work. But they surprised me. Instead, they ran up, to the shore, ran up the shore away away from the water, laughing and holding hands, and sat down to build, build another castle. I realized they had taught me an important lesson. All the things in our lives, all the complicated structures we spend so much time and energy creating, are built on sand. Only our relationships to other people endure. Sooner or wave, later, the wave will come along and knock down what we have worked so hard to build up. When that happens, only the person who has somebody's hand to hold will be able to laugh. Uh, The life of faith is is one that's filled with joy. That's filled with being connected in relationship with the God who loves us, who loved us so much that he sent his one and only son that we matter so much to him that he wants to be reconciled to us. It's not a dismissal of the things in our lives that caused the problem in the first place, that that there's sin in our lives. There was a price to pay for that, and it was a devastating price. But God said, let me pay that because you matter so much to me. You can't do this, but I will. And he welcomes us into relationship with him. That's the mountain that we look towards. That's where the race is headed. And so we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter. As we go through difficult, hard things, whether they're illnesses or conflicts or or hard times financially or otherwise, we fix our eyes on Jesus. And endure and look for the ways that he's working in our lives, for the things that he wants us to see. That's faith. That's faith, as the last chapter says, which is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. Faith is the substance that we see lived out in people's lives, even if we can't quantify it or put it in a box. It's something that's lived out and the evidence comes as we 
approach the things in our lives, as we endure the hardships and even the discipline, all with our eyes looking towards Jesus and looking towards Mount Zion, this place of peace and joy. Let's stand for closing prayer. Lord, again, we, we come to you and we ask for your help to, to work through hard things in our lives that we might be able to, to picture where you're at in them. We don't like them and you're not asking us to like them, but how to walk through them. To be faithful even when things are unjust. Because our eyes are on our, our brother, your son, who faced injustice and endured it all the way through. And Lord, we look forward to that day, that time when that heavenly city will come, where you set things to right, where there is joy. That is our hope. Lord, help us to stay focused on you and your call in our lives. We pray this through Christ's name. Amen. God bless you this day. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.